are you? Hello, Michael. Uh, I'm good. I'm chilling. <sighs> I've been very um, spacey all day. So settling down to record. I have like barely talked to another human today, which is one of the advantages of, I guess, living in the the burbs. Mm-hmm, yeah. So sitting down to have this podcast conversation, it's just like, okay, bring the brain together, get all the different parts of my consciousness, put them in a bucket. Well, hello. I'm glad I can assist you with being a human today. Oh my God. Yeah. It's been chill since moving into my new house. I've gotten to like be taking the puppy out in the yard instead of around the block, which is so much easier and so amazing. Well, how, how's the cherry situation? It's good. All the ripe cherries are already gone. So there's just like a bunch of rotten cherries on the ground now. Okay. And those aren't appealing to the puppy. Not as appealing. He has eaten a few for sure. And there's also a crab apple tree. And every so often he'll pick up a crab apple and be like, is this something I want? Let me take a few bites and find out. And then he just like leaves a half-eaten crab apple in the grass. Okay. Well, I actually did something very similar the other day with a crab apple. Crab apple <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, super delish. It's always tempting. It's always yeah, tempting. right. Because it looks so much like a regular apple I know, that you I think know. it's going to be good. Also, there are a bunch of baby bunnies. I saw a bunch of baby bunnies yesterday. Just like tiny, like the size of my cell phone if even that oh tiniest baby bunnies you ever saw in your life they're so cute huge bunny version 15 bunny or something like that. <laughs> bunny x plus android edition does your bunny come with a stylus my bunny only has a lightning port and no headphone port and the battery expires after a year so okay, okay. it's not the best bunny hopefully the bunny doesn't explode in your pocket <laughs> yeah the eu is trying to regulate it but that's good michael yes how are you i'm good i recently played for a contra dance in a mm-hmm. northeastern mm-hmm. as patrons of the show will know oh that's right do non-patrons don't know about that no everyone knows about that everyone knows everyone playing for the dance playing for a dance you talked yeah. about camp but not about the dance oh oh, oh. yes i played for a anyway dance. this is not important <laughs> this is a very silly interruption to the story i met a listener of our pod at the dance whoa i know that is great. I feel like that was one of your goals when we first started this pod was to is have that goal? interaction. Is it a goal? You had several dubious goals when we started this show. They were very cool. Very nice <laughs> to meet you. You know who you are. Oh. They were very nice. Super cool. As all listeners of our show are. Uh, yeah. All of our listeners. Unless by cool. some chance, you know, like fucking Donald Trump is listening right now. If you are, we're coming. Uh, we're um, on our way. <laughs> if you are tweet our show please (laughs) and then we'll come get you no 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 we'll just say thank you for that thank you very much for the publicity we appreciate it (laughs) also i guess i waggled my finger at you (laughs) but the real listener of our show they were very cool very nice that's so cute combination contra dancer and jew and podcast listener so you know you don't see that often Actually, I bet you do. I feel like there are a lot of Contra Dance Jews out there, probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's plenty. It was a very cool dance community. Very intergenerational, very hip, lively, good, happy vibes. So that was nice. How's Skeeter? How's the house? Oh, Skeeter's good. The house is fine. It's humid. It's hot. <clears throat> Can't really do a lot outside. Grunge Girl's been building stuff. 
<sighs> been building a uh, a skirt for the house. Oh. Yeah. Like to cover up the crawl space entrance yes. kind of thing? Yeah. Yes. To cover Got the it. crawl space. Oh, my gosh. I watched a really scary movie that involved crawl space. Oh, really? The other day. Yeah. Really scary. It's a couple years old now, but um, Barbarian. Oh, um, yeah. We've seen Barbarian. Yeah. I have heard much critical acclaim about it. I used to watch scary movies like constantly, and then I like watch them so much that I gave myself nightmares all the time. So I had to stop. So the other day I like watch Barbarian like in the middle of the day, full daylight, <laughs> like very secure way to watch it. But it was still really scary. It's good though, right? It's, it's yeah, it was also really good. I was like, this is both entertaining and clever, which is a rare combination. I was very proud of myself when I watched that for catching like the Ricky Ticky Tavi symbolism. Oh, I did. Rudyard Kipling kind of weird reference. I don't remember Ricky Ticky Tavi well enough is actually the true problem of this conversation. Well, the main lady had a yeah. snake necklace. I did notice that, yes. Because I have a very similar necklace gifted to me by Binya, a friend of the show. The guy, he was singing like this weird song about Ricky Ticky Tavi. Oh. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. Like the lady. It's amazing that they this... managed to find a song that was so symbolically rich, yet also so embodied the douchebaggery of his character. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really good. Um, I thought that was a cool <clears throat> touch, like colonial, whatever, whatever. The woman is yeah. the snake. Whatever, Definitely, whatever. listeners, if you are a, a scary movie watcher and you somehow haven't already seen Barbarian, because I'm pretty sure I'm like the last person to see it. I recommend it to fans of terrifying movies. Yeah, it's good. It was also directed by the, one of the guys in The Whitest Kids You Know, that sketch comedy group. Oh, interesting. It's really only scary for like the first third. And then it's suspenseful for the rest of the movie. But the first third is like, I was on the edge of my seat for sure. Anyway, enough of our impromptu review uh, of yeah. uh, 2022's Barbarian featuring Justin Long. Let's talk about other stuff, the stuff we came here to yes, talk about. You brought something for us today. Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to say, because we're in that time where I do this, where Shalmala has a class registration open now. We have class registration open for The Flavor of Text, which is an amazing class that's going to be starting in about two weeks, exploring melody and memory in the Beit Midrash. So you're not going to want to miss it. I'll put a link in the description so that all of you can come learn with us. And now that I have reminded you all about that, I will tell you, I started out what I picked for today because in the Shalmala Discord server, we have this incredible thing created for us by one of the students that spits out a random Mishnah every day. It's a big part of the Shalmala vibe. This random Mishnah really piqued my interest. So I'm just going to start by reading this Mishnah and then I'll talk about what part of it I was personally interested in. Okay, give it to us. So this is from Bhavakama 10. It's uh, Bhavakama chapter 10, Mishnah 2. If customs collectors took one's donkey and gave him a different donkey, or if bandits took his garment and gave him a different garment, these items are now his because the owners despaired of retrieving them when they were stolen, and therefore they may be acquired by another. Summarizing as we go along, like this is talking about laws of lost and stolen property, which everybody knows is something we love to talk about on this show. If a bandit stole your shit and then gave you replacement shit for some reason, mm -hmm. you are allowed to legally have ownership of the replacement shit they gave you. Why wouldn't you be allowed to have 
because you might think that it still halakhically belongs to the person who they took it from. Oh, because well, that's presumed. because neither the customs collector nor the bandit are the original owners of the thing. So you have to wonder: Does that person still have a halachic claim on the item? And the answer is no. If someone untrustworthy gives you a gift, okay, what if they never stole your stuff to begin with? And someone who you- this isn't even the part of the mission that I want to talk about. Okay, okay, I just stopped so that we would understand what was going on before I kept going. What if a sketchy individual? gives you a gift of a pair of pants. I don't know. That might be... Uh, it depends on what they tell you about how they acquired the pants, I imagine. I don't know. I did not, That's like a... That's all an right, episode all, all right. its own. That's fair. Continue. The, in the case of the bandit and the customs collector, we're pretty sure that neither are the original owner of the item in question. Okay, okay. Okay. So, continuing, skipping around the mission a little bit, because there's a bunch of stuff in here. And so, too, with regards to a swarm of bees. If the owners despaired of retrieving the bees, they belong to the one who found him. And one may walk into another's field in order to salvage his own swarm of bees that has relocated there. And if he damaged some property in the process, he must pay for what he's damaged. But if the bees settled on the branch of a tree, he may not cut off the other's branch in order to take the bees even on condition that he will later give him money for it. And Rabbi Ishmael, son of Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka, says he may even cut off the branch and later give him money for its compensation. So the bees... Okay, okay bees. Okay. There's other stuff in this Mishnah that I didn't read, but the bees are really... I was just very entranced by this idea of like, you know, if you're in the woods, if you're wandering in the woods and you come across an unclaimed swarm of bees, yes, like you do... yeah. Yeah. Logically, those are now your bees, if you want them to be. Because if there was a prior owner of the bees, you're presuming they've given up the search for the bees. and they're... Yes. Okay. Correct. Um, how do you know that they've given up the search for the bees? Who qualifies as having despaired of the loss of an item is like a big part of what this section of the Mishnah is dealing with. Okay. For instance, if you'll recall, right, we talked about Yehushelomida'at, which was one of our most popular episodes, an item that's lost and the owner didn't know it was lost. And there were all kind of qualifications like if you found the item in a river, you can claim it because there's no way it could have washed down the river and there's no way the owner could have a reasonable hope of reclaiming it. Right. I imagine there's all kinds of similar qualifications on this Mishnah. But Really, more so than the halacha, which is usually the dry, delicious, saltine cracker of logic that I'm interested in. I just found all the cool stuff I could about bees. Oh, okay, okay. This is about <laughs> bees for you. Yeah, I'm doing a real Michael episode. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate that. The bee thing doesn't immediately shock me because Grunge Girl has been reading a book about beekeeping. Right. And I've learned sometimes the bees will swarm. Right, right, exactly. And they're like really docile and they'll like hang out in a big giant clump as they're like trying to find like a new home. So you can like go up to a docile clump of bees and just take them and put them in your bee box. And which is (laughs) see, that's the thing is like not that it's not that it's so shocking that you could do this, but one, bees are just very magical and cute. I think no doubt top five insects in the world. Bees are among them. They're a little fucked up though, too, but continue. (laughs) Okay, what insect is not fucked up? Insects get into some gnarly shit. That's true, that's true. Bees are great, first of all. 
uh, and very magical. And two, just like claiming a swarm of bees is like such an amorphous thing. It's like barely even an object, you know, like what number of bees constitutes the swarm of bees? Oh, I don't know. Exactly. What if there was a bee and it swarmed on the territory halfway between my territory and your territory with one leg of the swarm in one line and one leg of the swarm in the other line? You know, that kind of shit. Anyway, I was just like, bees are so cool. And like, I don't really think about ancient beekeeping and like bee culture that much. But Mm -mm. honey comes up all the time in the Torah. So like, of course, I they had bees around so then i was just like well what other stuff is out there about bees because i know there's like a famous teaching that the taste of honey is like 160th of the taste of the world to come all kinds of cool stuff about honey so i was like what else is happening with bees and some sort of off the beaten path um tales about them And so I just pulled up a bunch of bee stuff to talk about. Okay, give me bees. Our next uh, flower to flutter to is from Sota 48 V. Uh, (laughs) It's not, the puns are just too numerous to like not, how could I not? If I didn't say it, you would. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. you would. Don't lie to me and don't lie to yourself. Anyway, Sota 48 B. Rav Ami says, from when the time when the first temple was destroyed, Beautiful silk and white glass ceased to exist in this world. And it was also taught in a baraita from the time when the first temple was destroyed. Beautiful silk, white glass, and iron chariots ceased. And some say even the congealed wine that comes from Sinir, which is similar to round fig cakes, ceased to exist. And the sweetness of honeycomb also ceased when the first temple was destroyed. So obviously, the first part of this combo, Mishnah Baraita, is all about different wonderful things that were deleted from the world when the first temple was destroyed. If you wanted to take this literally, I'm sure you could argue like, oh, there was a special kind of white glass yeah, yeah, that yeah. used to exist. And the white glass we have today is just like an inferior reflection of that white glass. The sweetness of honeycomb seems like a much safer thing to say it was destroyed because you can like saying honeycomb is not as sweet as it used to be feels much more arguable than saying white glass no longer exists was it saying that the honey from the honeycomb isn't as sweet or is it the honeycomb itself used to be sweet instead of being like a waxy nothing i'm so glad you asked here is what we learn about this phrase no fet sufim which is the name for the sweetness of the honeycomb rav said fine flour that floats up and remains on top of the sieve which is similar in taste to dough kneaded with honey and oil so Rav says it's not even like honey per se. Rav is saying it's like this very special, incredibly high grade flour that is so wonderful that it tastes like honey. And so it's called the sweetness of the honeycomb. Oh, okay. So that's Rav's first claim. And Levi says, I've never heard of this person who just goes by Levi in, in the Talmud, that nofet sufim is the term for two loaves stuck together in an oven, which keep swelling until they reach each other. I can personally confirm that that still exists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very much so. Have done it. Um, so not a great answer. And Rabbi Yehoshua bin Levi says, this is honey that comes from elevated areas. So Rabbi Yehoshua says this is just like a special grade of honey that comes from like up in the mountains. 
and therefore has some oh. special, wonderful quality. Now I'm thinking about two loaves of bread crashing into each other in the oven as like a perfect metaphor for like love during the apocalypse. I feel like it's very cinematic. Yeah. Let me bring my last, the last part of this sugya because I think it connects to that a little bit. From where can we learn that this is what nofet sufim means. It's as Rav Sheshet would translate the phrase as the bees do from Deuteronomy 144, like bees spread out and fly all over the world and bring honey from mountainous plants. So this verse is basically a, a verse from Deuteronomy that's talking about how the Amorites came and chased the Jews as the bees do. What Rav Sheshet is saying is we can learn from the way that bee behavior is depicted in this verse, which is as being like the Amorites who came out from the mountains and went all over the place, that bees used to be up in the mountains bringing honey from mountainous plants, but they don't do that anymore. I don't know enough about bee ecology and altitude and mountains to really say whether this is like a thing that still happens, ever happened. It would make sense to me if bees had like were uppity about which altitude they could be at i don't know i'm at altitude right now kind of we're all at altitude we're all, all the time at an altitude that is true and there are <laughs> bees near me's anyway yeah i just thought this it's cool that bees are like i don't know they're like this mysterious force whose behavior is changed by the destruction of the temple it gives them even more of that bee mystique that i was feeling in the first so yeah that like yeah. bees are just out there doing shit that we don't understand that's true. I, I agree. The more I learn about bees, the more I don't want to know more about bees. <laughs> yeah. Don't investigate bees too closely. I agree. Listeners out there who don't know anything about beekeeping, just don't don't learn. Embrace anything. ignorance. Yes. Your image of bees Turn off this episode right now, in fact. <laughs> it's just freaky. You don't you don't wanna know. You don't wanna know what freaky bees are up beaky. To. Next bee thing. So this is from Bihorot seven B. And this one is weird, <laughs> really weird. The rabbis are talking on this page about whether we can consume products that come from unkosher animals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if it's a product that's not unkosher in itself, like camel milk, but it comes from a camel, which is not kosher to eat, can mm -hmm. I eat that? That's what the rabbis are talking about. Starting out, with regard to the urine of horses and camels... Whoa. The students of Rav Sheshet did not raise the dilemma because people don't drink it. When they raised the dilemma, it was with regard to the urine of a donkey, which people do drink, and it's beneficial for curing jaundice. What? First of all, jaundice? That must be a very liberal translation of whatever word they're using. I know. Okay? They don't have jaundice oh. back then. They do have jaundice, I'm sure they though. have jaundice, but I don't know if, if they have a constellation of symptoms that they associate with the word jaundice the way we do. I would doubt it. I but don't know. Who knows? Maybe they do. Maybe jaundice is like an ancient thing. Anyway, regardless, so then they say, what's the halacha since people do drink donkey piss? And Rav Sheshet said, you learn the answer to your dilemma in the Mishnah, which says that which emerges from a non-kosher animal is non-kosher and that which emerges from the kosher is kosher. And these fluids also come from a donkey, which is non-kosher, therefore they're forbidden. But the Gemara raises an objection. For what reason did the sages say the honey of bees is permitted? Because we can't eat bees. 
That's right. We can't. I know. Eat when bees. I when I read this, I was like, "Why have I never asked myself this question before? Why is honey allowed to be eaten if this is the halacha?" The answer that they first give is it is because they bring the nectar from the flowers into their body, but they do not excrete it from their body as a bodily excretion. So too, the urine of a donkey is not an excretion produced by the body itself. Rather, it is simply ejected in the same form that it entered the body. So what the Gemara is offering as a first possible explanation is like, honey is basically present in flowers in tiny amounts. All the bees are doing is they take it in and they spit it out in the same form. So it's not metabolized by the bees. And so therefore, okay. it's not a product of the bees. It's just a side effect of the bees' life. Okay, okay. Not true, but okay, cool. Right, not true. Bees do produce the honey. It is not just like uh But then they compare it to the there. donkey, too. They try and to- then they say, basically, they're saying, if this was true, then we would have to allow donkey pee as well. Because donkey pee is just water that the donkey has been carrying around. Again, well, that not, not true. No, that does not make sense. Even- but if you, if you didn't know what was up with the digestive system, you might think, like, water comes in, water goes out. Okay, imagine you really want to drink donkey pee, right? As people seemingly do. And your reason is like, no, 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 look, it's the same as water. It's the same as water. Then the natural follow-up question is, well, why don't you just drink the water? Why don't you just drink water? Because it's not beneficial for jaundice. Duh. That's just contradictions upon contradictions. Rav Shesse said this in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yaakov, who says that with regards to honey, the merciful one permits it. Basically, like, God said it's okay. It's an exception. There's no way we're not going to fucking eat honey, and we're not going to offer a reason for it. We're just allowed. That's my favorite so far. Yeah, I love any time the Talmud is just like, you know what? No, I'm cutting this off. We're eating honey. Deal with it. However, things get even more wild to me as it continues. One might have thought even the honey of wasps should be permitted. AKA, why can't we eat wasp honey? Which I didn't even know existed. Nevertheless, you should say no. Why should we get to eat the honey of bees and exclude the honey of wasps? I include the honey of bees as it does not have a modifier, a.k.a. the word honey always refers to the honey of bees. And I exclude the honey of wasps, which does have a modifier, a.k.a. we have to say wasp honey to mean honey, which means it's different than honey. Oh, Seems like a pretty uh, (laughs) loosey-goosey argument. It's like everybody knows honey means bee honey. Apparently wasps do make honey. I just found out. Now I want to try Sounds like it would be about as good as donkey piss. Uh, I don't know. I think I'd sooner have wasp honey than donkey piss. Listeners, if you have an opinion on wasp honey versus donkey piss, right into the show. No, I don't want to see just a picture of a wasp. Show me wasp honey. Can I buy wasp honey? No, it's just like wasp control products. So wasp honey not allowed because it is modified honey and the apparently Hakadosh Baruch Hu only gave us an exception for plain honey and we do not have permission to consume any kind of honey that requires another adjective in front of it to describe its nature. That is amazing. Honey, it's so obvious. It's why I know that we didn't come up with the question ourselves. Yep. Shocks me. Yep. It shocked me too when I read it. I was just 
bamboozled. And I've left the sugyo being, I mean, I love the answer that they gave, but I have also left being like, okay, so they didn't come up with an answer really either. <laughs> they were just like, honey is an essential part of life. We are not going to stop eating honey. It's amazing that, you know, knowing what we know now about how honey is made, you'd think there would be some right, orthodox right. group out there that said, you know what, guys, we can't do the honey. Yes, this is not a universal halakhic principle, but there is a halakhic principle that we try not to make our ancestors into sinners. So, for instance, a great example is we have microscopes today that can see bugs on our produce that never could have been seen by Moses. Right. But right, if we right. rule microscopic bugs to influence kashrut status, that means Moses was eating treif lettuce his whole life. Right, right. That's one obstacle. The other thing I would say is I would have thought it would be much easier to just say, like, we have an example of David HaMelech eating honey. We have an example of King David eating honey. So, like, King David would never eat anything unkosher, so honey must be kosher. Is that enough justification that just someone who you trust is doing it, so you should do it too? Has that ever been used before? In oh, yeah. that's a, There's a whole category of halakhic opinion, uh, of halakhic authority called ma'ase, literally doing, which is like, a trustable authority does this, therefore we know it is appropriate practice. Maybe it's just, it's so blatantly against the other ruling of you're not supposed to have a right. stuff from a non-kosher animal that you just need even more justification. I mean, we're right. having an existential I think the, crisis. I think the honey lobby was just more powerful than the donkey piss lobby, and that was the problem. <laughs> I mean, I think that's true at all times in history, you know? <laughs> we're lucky to live in a world with a weak donkey piss lobby. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> You do not want to live in the same parallel universe where everything is the same except the donkey except piss Except donkey lobby. piss one out over honey. Yeah. You know, don't even get me started on the wasp honey dimension. Oh my God. Yeah. No, we don't want wasp honey. Can you imagine wasp honey farms? Okay. I'm going to cap us off with one that's a little more magical and sweet and less filled with piss. This is from Penine Halakha, which is a present day source of basically just like a modern day Israeli rabbi providing some halakha guidance. But he is talking about a drosh from Rav Kook, who was a famous Rav. Rav Kook presents a second explanation, and this is discussing why do we eat sweets and dairy on Shavuot, mm -hmm. which is, I have heard a million answers to that question, but I've never heard this answer. Both milk and honey are foods which originate in something impure. Honey is produced by bees, while milk is formed from blood. Both these foods involve transformation of impure to pure and thus symbolize repairing the world, and they have a special taste. Foods which symbolize transformation are appropriate to eat on a holiday celebrating the giving of the Torah, as the Torah has transformative power. It repairs what is wrong with the world and the flavors of the evil inclination, transforming it into a positive force. Eretz Israel also possesses this power, which is why it's referred to as a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, interesting. So I thought that was a neat one to culminate with and also kind of a fun different direction to go with why we're allowed to eat honey is just like by magic, the honey has been made pure, you know, like it's part of the magical nature of the universe that honey is kosher because it's getting transformed. Milk is coming from blood. Definitely freaky. Yeah. Does it, I don't think milk no. comes from blood. I mean, in the sense that everything in our body, to some extent, yeah, yeah, comes, from, comes blood. from you know, yeah, I guess comes from existence. Yeah, 
that's true. You could make that case also for hamburgers too, which is why I also eat them on Shavuot. <laughs> uh, that's why I have hamburger cheesecake every Shavuot. Again, just like returning to the inherent magicalness of bees and their mysterious stuff. They're out there doing magic, symbolizing the repair of the world, transforming the impure into the pure, changing their behavior because of the destruction of the temple, mm-hmm. defying halachic logic. Yep. You know, this this bee journey was just into a couple little novelties on bees, but it really confirmed my opinion of bees being magical and mysterious and and having a bunch of cool stuff about them in the Talmud. Wow. I know. That's that. I hope you all have enjoyed this little B-side from the podcast. And we're going to keep doing our thing. If you're not already a patron, we're putting out patron episodes. So join our Patreon at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? Uh, sign up for the flavor of text at Shalmala. The link will be in the description. And we'll just keep bringing you cool stuff as best we can. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Thank <laughs> you.